Welcome back to Reformed Millennials, the podcast where finances, economic trends, and sports intersect. Cam and Joel help listeners better invest their time and money. Also, it's important for listeners to understand that investing in equities, fixed income instruments, and or alternative asset classes involves substantial risk of loss. Any action you may take as a result of the information presented in this podcast is your own responsibility. The information in this podcast is presented as a general educational, informational, and entertainment resource only. While Joel is registered to provide investment advice as an advising representative with Gold Investment Management, LTD, a firm registered as a portfolio manager and located in Edmonton, Alberta. This podcast does not provide individualized investment, tax, or insurance advice, nor is it meant as a recommendation to any listener to buy or sell any specific securities or otherwise take any other form of investment action. This is an excerpt of the full legal disclaimer that's available on the landing page of this podcast, which includes whether Joel Shackleton, Cam Pitchers, or GIM have any ownership or interest in the specific securities discussed in this podcast. All right, Cam. So I'll know better for next time, but we shouldn't be taking a week off in the middle of summer. That's it, fair. I mean, I did, to be fair to the podcast, I was here and ready to go. Yeah. Traffic, as they say, <laughs> it gets in the way. So we apologize for the week off, but um, we have a very busy show for you. But I want to start off something very quick. quickly. I want to get off my chest here. Um, I'm going to be changing up the way in which I structure our newsletter. Um, I've gotten a lot of feedback while the market update is very um, popular. Uh, it's the links. And I get a lot of text messages, emails on a week-to-week basis asking for the things that I reference. And on a ongoing basis, I'm sending them to those people individually. Everything that I talk about, read, that I find interesting, I'm filtering down into my newsletter, whether it be the things I'm listening to, watching, or reading. I put them there. I give a little bit of a brief description of what it is, and it's for everyone to digest. No longer will I be doing a a vision into what the market has done in the last week, but I will be putting the things that are kind of curating the way that I think and and the things that I see. So please go and check that out. Anybody who's listening here, check that out on an ongoing basis. Subscribe if you haven't already. But, Cam, let's get to business. The only thing that matters is live PGA and PIF. (laughs) Obviously, yesterday was insane. The biggest bombshell in sports Twitter in the last 10, 10 years, I would say. Yeah, and that's for all sports, I think. 100%. I, I, you and I were chatting before we started recording, but the, the age of information now, especially in the sports, everything gets leaked. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, corporate world, too. It doesn't, everything gets leaked early, and someone, there's a discussion and a conversation around something before it is actually official or before something's actually announced. You hear about whatever it might be and team sports team comes out and says they're going to be a press conference tomorrow at 9 a.m the transcript of that is essentially out and leaked before (laughs) before the end of the day before so the fact that this news came out and that no one outside of maybe the the handful of people that would have been in boardrooms which sounds like over the last seven weeks or so would have known about this those are the only people that knew about the specifics I think one thing we want to, I know you got a bunch of stuff that you want to get into on this, but it's the one thing to preface is there's a lot of information still rolling out on this. We do not know all the specifics, this agreement that's been put in place with between the, the PIF and the, the PGA tour and live golf, et cetera, has been agreed to on a framework basis. So essentially what this looks like as a rollout for the rest of 2023 or into 24 and beyond is still all those details are being worked out in terms of what that's going to mean from player status to compensation to events around the world. That's all kind of still being figured out. Yeah, so for those that don't know what happened and didn't watch or read or do anything on social media in the last call it Let's say the, the one thing is like that was on like every news publication like you could not hide away from that that wasn't like sports centric that was on everything yeah it's it hit everyone my mom was watching adriana even read about it it was <laughs> huge no doubt um so for those that maybe didn't live golf and the pga tour have announced that they are joining 
Live Golf is a Saudi-backed league that began roughly two years ago. The first event was 52 Weeks Today. Mm -hmm. um, and the PGA Tour and its commissioner has Jay Monahan have effectively uh, said that they are going to be merging. Um, the details of that merger are still very vague. And um, what's to come down the turnpike, we don't really know. Everything is kind of conjecture, mm -hmm. conjecture at this point. However... Uh, I think it's important for people to understand that this is the PGA Tour, the DP World Tour, and Live Golf. The PIF, Public Investment Fund, which is the, the fund that Saudi Arabia invests out of, is the large equity injector here. They're going to be pumping, I don't know how much money, but I'm going to make a few predictions. The, the fund itself is in the range of $620 billion, so pretty large pile of cash. I think... I don't, I don't know if there is anybody who has a cash hoard that large with the exception of maybe Apple. So a lot of money. And that's something that we've talked about in previous episodes being mm -hmm. a, a big, a big um, contributor to why this was just an unfair fight to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, on a go-forward basis, it sounds like they still need to come to an agreement um, from their policy board. In order for this agreement or for this deal to bind, they'd still need to get majority vote. And as new information comes out, I think either from a compensation perspective to existing members to um, what, what the, the terms of the deal are going to be, will, they'll start to be made available to the, to the tour members. Mm -hmm. And that will probably contribute to this, whether or not this actually goes through. The people on the live side, the DeChambeau's, the, the Phil Mickelson's, Cam Smith's, Brooks Kepka's are thrilled, obviously. They, they got their money, mm -hmm. and um, they're going back to where they really want to play. I say, by and large, you assume that at the end of the day, even though there is some, I guess, questions around what exactly this is going to look like, you assume that you're going to have those heavy hitters back at all the marquee events. Yeah, so. and that's great for, for the true golf fan. But then there's the other group, the other 200 members, that all of them probably got an offer, guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And they all stayed out of the goodness of, of they were defending the tour. Rory McIlroy turned down 300 to 500 million dollars. John Rahm 300 million. Hideki 300 million. Um, Will Zalatoris who may never play again 130 million. Tiger Woods 800 700 million. Um, two plus billion dollars amongst ten players. That is tough to digest. I think for that group, it's especially just how because of how vocal they were mm -hmm. and how much they identified with the their discontent with the 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 investor and who that those people were going to be in bed with yeah and really difficult to 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 um to deal with and i think what is most interesting here from my perspective as somebody who has been um maybe not so much pro the person or the group investing but pro the the idea. changes yeah is just how good or how well planned out this was from the Saudis point of view. And this is not to comment on whether or not I agree with the moral um, ethics of that yeah, country. It's just the business the, idea. You can call the it business strategy here is something that will likely be applied on an ongoing basis. And we're seeing it in soccer right now um, in so many different ways. And I think it's important for any investor, for anybody locally, public, private to think about when you're going up against a 8,000 pound gorilla who has unlimited money, 620 billion and a two and a half trillion dollar cash flow monster in Saudi Saudi Aramco going up against you as a just for those that don't know a 600 to 700 million dollar annual revenue business in the PGA tour I shouldn't even call it a business it was a not-for-profit membership um, and you have a mismatch in size mm -hmm. Saudi Aramco or Saudis wanted to invest in the business or in the, the, the entity, they told them to leave them alone. Mm -hmm. And what did they do? They saw that they had weaknesses. They were completely dependent on ad revenue or advertisers, sponsors for their events. And then they have a duration mismatch, which you have a PGA tour that will exist forever. Effectively, it's an entity that has no bounds in time. And then you have players that have careers that last between a year and 25 years. There's not everybody makes $60 million a year like Rory McIlroy. Many people 
struggle to get by. They barely make it week to week. And when you have that mismatch and you have um, individual contributions that are so important to that sport, there's a weakness that you can identify. And it's quite clear that the, the Live Golf League, um, Norman, had a vision for this. And the Saudi family was like, we're going to leverage your position within um, and your contacts. We're going to give you a blank check. And they spent a billion, billion and a half dollars acquiring <clears throat> six of the top 25 golfers on the planet. Six of the biggest names for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, three of the most recent six major winners. And we're going to bring them over to the league. Then they're going to still be able to qualify for all these events. So for mm-hmm. a billion, billion and a half dollars for an entity that produces 600 to 650 or $700 million a year, they rendered them weak to the point in which they had to merge. They had to open up their business yep. to an entity that they were saying no to in yep. the past. And this is what the problem is with large corporations and antitrust. This is the reason why we have antitrust law. And while it's hilarious that the larger entity was using that as one of their levers against the PGA Tour, mm-hmm. this is the reverse of that in when you look at tech today. When you look at how Apple does this to multiple companies, when you think about Microsoft, you think about uh, Facebook and TikTok and all of these large entities that go into any, that when they start to um, horizontally integrate and add features that, or sorry, vertically integrate and add features to their business for free, for free that companies yeah. charge for, mm-hmm. you can't compete. It's like disruption with unlimited funds. Good business yeah. plan. <laughs> and I had this argument with my brother. He it was vehemently against the PGA Tour giving in to these people. He hated the idea of live. My brother is a traditionalist to the day he dies. That is the way he is. And I understand where he's coming from. And I told him, money wins, effectively. Mm-hmm. And think about the, the succession quote. I'm like, the, they have for and business breakdowns O'Shaughnessy's um, Colossus podcast had a PGA Tour expert come on talk about the Saudi family has unlimited money their runway is as long as they want it to be so mm-hmm. long as they think or deem this to be a good investment and I think if the PGA Tour held on another three years they would have given up they might not have continued to spend the money but the duration mismatch on mismatch on the, the players versus mm-hmm. the the league itself was enough to cripple it. They had <laughs> my understanding was John Rahm was next and that was enough. It was over. The right. Brooks win, the Phil coming in second, um, the fact that Cam Smith is still sniffing around, Patrick Reed and Yeah, <clears throat> they definitely uh, benefited from their their pros playing well. I think to your point about the runway thing, like I mean or tr- maybe trying to hold out or or wait for them to become disinterested. I think you talk about this this massive fund they have, this invet this initial investment that they've made in the whole grand scheme of things in comparison to probably other things that they've invested in is a drop in the bucket. So you could see them potentially being hot and cold on things. So like, yeah, we'll give this three years, see how it goes, see how much disruption we can cause and whether or not we rattle the PGA. Potentially, again, we could have played out where this is this is maybe a, a blip on the radar in terms of the success that uh, live golfers had. I still don't actually have a great concept of how successful the product that live was putting out on a it wasn't successful at all it was terrible right so that part of it was not doing great it was more so again i think them taking a the p the leaders of the pga tour jay monahan probably being number one as the head decision maker and kind of um judge and jury on a lot of these decisions him probably looking in the long term saying well, if we can get this new investor, this new backing, what can that mean for probably a little bit me personally, as well as what does this mean for the game of golf on a go forward basis? Uh, again, taking the kind of the, the moral questioning, which I mean, I kind of went on a rant with you in, in terms of my feelings on that guy specifically and the takes that he's had in the last, we said off the top 52 weeks ago, I think he was on with, with our good friend, Jim Nance. Hello friends. And he was talking about basically just taking that moral high ground on everything and, and essentially just talking about like 9-11 families and, his, and, and, the, and the link between Saudi Arabia and, and that event, obviously, and, and basically using that dialogue. And then now the hypocrisy to come back around 
and basically say, well, we maybe didn't have all the information we had at that time. It's a different discussion. Like, BS, man. Like, again, money wins. So either come out straight. Like, I just don't appreciate that kind of that dancing around the subject. And so, again, taking that out of it, though, if you just look at it from the what the business the business play by the the PIF, the, the Saudi-backed funding has done for golf, it could be what we're talking about when we're sitting, when we're retired and look at, and, and probably watching more, even more golf than we do what we do right now. It's going to be a completely, it could be a huge game changer. And I, I think one of the things that I thought about, and I, I heard a few people chat about with, with interviews, obviously sports radio was all over this and having a bunch of different analysts and experts on. And some people were making the link to potentially how this could be a, the start of something where you're modeling golf over F1 with this kind of global sport, global event type idea in terms of the structure of how that looks in the, I guess, beneath the top tier. Cause like you, you have to assume PGA was already announcing that they were going to be doing some of these non-cut events next mm-hmm. year and having only like the elite of the elite top 75 or whatever in the, in the tournament or top 50 in the tournaments. So what is that going to mean for the other guys like you talked about the 200 pga tour pros right now that aren't the you know are on either are on the pga tour or you know split between the corn Ferry tour which is kind of for those that don't know kind of a feeder tour to the pga then you have all these professionals over in europe you got professionals in playing in the asian leagues and the south american leagues etc which are all kind of interconnected pga obviously supports all of them so what's that all going to look like going forward no idea but in terms of how the PGA Tour has typically made their money. They've marketed themselves as the North American League for the most part. They have gone outside of North America for certain uh, significant events, but not to the same degree as what Liv was doing. Liv was basically, again, taking their tour around. They're going to Cam Smith, you mentioned, he's from Australia. So they said, okay, well, we're going to do an event in Australia, and we're going to see how that goes, and we're going to do an event in Korea or Japan or wherever else. So I, I could see there actually being a, a switch to that, creating this more kind of global, these these specific maybe monthly events where you have these these marquee events that are being taken place all over the world. Uh, throughout the, the nice thing with golf is that you can probably find a spot to play at any single time over the twelve months. You're not you're not a seasonality or not just you're not affected by that same kind of seasonality outside of competition of other sports obviously but i think they would be able to do this from a global sense to create either i guess just like these we've talked about the fracturing of 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 media and content in general you could create massive events around this and a lot of buzz around it and i think the other thing that you want you were mentioning too like this whole team aspect of golf is creating kind of more fanfare around supporting more than just one person like you can support teams and what, what that might look like on a go forward basis uh in some kind of revised structure yeah i i i think the constructor constructors cup yeah. uh, the way of thinking about that in golf could very well be countries it could be continents in the same way that we've done with Ryder cup or they've done with Ryder cup and president's cup the the f1 analogy that you made with there being like feeder leagues f f one two three I think that is the future for golf for sure. I I believe that a Constructors' Cup is a is a guarantee at this point with Titleist buying a team, TaylorMade buying a team, Callaway buying a team, Mizuno buying a team. I mean, it's endless. Think mm-hmm. about all the the Korean and Japanese manufacturers that are going to want to have a team. I think that there's a ton of opportunity for there to be um, additional entries yeah. to for young players that. I don't think people understand this. For me, I'm fairly privy to this just because of, I mean, I have a golf background. I mean, most of those guys have to pay $1,800 to get into an event that they can win mm-hmm. $2,500. Bucks. Mm-hmm. I think that there's, that's that's the the reality. It's, it's very similar to um, Major League Baseball in that the top makes all the money and the bottom can't even make it work. Mm-hmm. It's, it's for the wealthy, just like F1 is for the wealthy. Um, and... I'm excited to see the distribution of money down the yeah. ranks. Uh, I don't love it being concentrated with Tiger as much as it probably should be. It, I'd like to see that change, and maybe there yeah. being more capital distributed will unfort- or fortunately benefit. Yeah. And that's where the investment in- interest here returns for me. The Saudi Arabia, they paid $1.5 billion, let's say, at the top end 
to disrupt the PGA Tour. The PGA Tour does about 600 to 700 million. This is not a revenue play for them. Like they're not looking for cash flow from the PGA Tour. They don't want this business to be a dividend um, entity. What they want to do is to see their capital gain appreciate. And here's how I want people to frame this in their mind. I think they paid between 20 and 30 times revenue. 600, so we're talking 18 to 21 billion dollar valuation. Let's say they bought 50%. They paid 11 billion plus their 1.5 billion dollar um, well, R&D. So not to mention whatever that P&L looked like in the first year. Holy yeah, smokes. probably negative <laughs> 1.5 billion. I think it made zero dollars. Um, so now we're looking at a 11 billion dollar entry, mm-hmm. 10 billion dollar equity piece that they've 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 their outlay. Um, Let's say, hypothetically, you look at the lowest revenue generated or market cap of, of American sports and you look at the NHL. What's the value of all of the NHL sports teams? 60, 70, 80 billion dollars? I'd say probably not even that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like, rumor has it. I've heard from a few of the families around here yeah. that Snoop Dogg's the lead at for the Ottawa Senators. Hey, you know what? That, you're right. There's probably going to be a huge uptick here because I, I, the last time that we would have done an overview of, of team values in general, mm-hmm. there's been some made like in multiple sports, NFL and now yeah. NHL, there's going to be a major uptick as a result of like there now being a a new benchmark for those things. 100%. So, but anyways, yeah, fair enough. Talk and about. so there's, there's an opportunity there. And I think that they're getting in at a really, at a very reasonable price. The Waltons, what did they pay for the Broncos? Seven, eight billion dollars? Yeah. I mean, whatever. <laughs> they don't care. Yeah. They have unlimited money too. Yeah. But not like they do. Not mm-hmm. like the Saudi family does. Not like PIF. Yeah. So um, I, I think this makes a lot of sense. I think it was, it, I mean, checkmate, they win. Um, the fact that it happened in two years surprised me. I would have guessed five. Yeah. Um, hilariously, Donald Trump predicted this last year. Of course. Yeah. After the, the British Open win mm-hmm. of, of Cam Smith. Of course. Nobody understands how to... Nobody is better at grifting than Donald Trump. I say no one understands that money just gets you at anything more than him. <laughs> you don't so. have to be talented. All you need is money. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense. And you know what? Funny... I forgot to mention this before, but I have a friend and listener of the show mentioned this, and I thought that this is a super accurate way of looking at things. Um, the Saudis are like the Romans back in the day. Have all the money, but don't participate with the gladiators. They just buy them. Mm. And you can see that with soccer players right now. Mm. They've, there's not a lot of competitive Saudi golfers. And, I mean, I'm sure there's quite a few more soccer players. But it sure yeah. does feel like they are modern day roman emperors mm-hmm. and they're buying athletes well i think the other thing is like they're trying to find ways to uh which i don't know what that message would be probably that they want more investment in saudi arabia and want to continue to diversify and probably want immigration there etc but this is also a content play in terms of getting their messages out there like we, we've chatted a lot about the the I guess all of the hoopla around TikTok and who's in behind the the content creation and what we're seeing on a day-to-day basis on our various platforms. This is a different kind of play to say, well, what, what's the most uh, viewed live event items in today's world? Sports still hundred percent of sports. So is there a way of getting into, is there an easy way of getting into some of the major sports leagues? No, not really. So you got to create your own. And the PGA ended up being then the, I think if you really take a hard look at it, the quote unquote easiest to do a deal with because of the fact that I think I alluded to there's, you know, a handful of people in a boardroom making this decision. There's not the same kind of, I know it has to come to a vote and all that kind of stuff, but there's not the same kind of hierarchy uh, in terms of decision makers from an outsider anyways, just looking at how this is all shaken out compared to some of the other sports leagues and maybe the the bargaining that would be happening mm-hmm. amongst the you know the the players association and the league and the owners etc you just have a bunch of independent contractors and you have this appointed jay monahan and the executive board a lot a lot less firewalls to go through mm-hmm. and so they, they've made this deal and and potentially obviously i think right now it's it's not to the same global the, not to the same global sense as an F1 or any of these other sports leagues at, at this current time, but the investments that they're making and 
again, who knows what, what can potentially happen with clubs from a soccer perspective. We're talking about like the number one global sport there. And then what this can mean from a PGA Tour standpoint. And, you know, that's going to be on TV. That's going to be on your phone. It's going to be on all, all this new content in which they're going to have a large say in what's coming through, as well as control over... Who's, who else's money they're taking from a sponsorship perspective and hey we want to be on this event this marquee event this weekend okay well let's think about other investments that your company is making and where that money is spent so yeah you can be sponsor of this but mm-hmm. we might need a little a little back end on this for an investment over here that we are also trying to get off the ground so right or wrong it's just very very interesting yeah and it's just a a good wake-up call for anybody who we we often sleep through these sort of events and this is definitely one of those ones that is um you can see that influence just so actively and and it's so blatant that when we um maybe it's things that are a little bit more subtle and perhaps over a longer period of time where we're not noticing it as much it's kind mm-hmm. of like boiling a frog and yeah. um that yeah that is something to worry about for sure the reverberations from this could be there'll be a good joe pomp summary in 10 years about how this was the first domino to fall on yeah. something even bigger 100 percent. so let's move on to market update uh, i'm sure we'll be talking about this more over the coming weeks today in canada we had another 25 basis points hike he yikes for those that have um I mean, actually, interestingly, all of the major banks this morning sent out a notice to those who have unsecured lines of credit that their current rate just bumped up a significant amount. Not yep. just... Just got that one and shredded it immediately to yeah, not think about it. Yeah, it in the garbage, not going to look at it. <laughs> um, very interesting move from their point of view. I, I they're, they're starting to squeeze their... Um, their debt holders. I mean, I don't know if this is a message from the Bank of Canada or from... I don't know, but it's quite clear that Canada has identified its um, employment market as being, or labor market as being too tight, Mm -hmm. that there's a bigger risk on the short term that inflation returns or doesn't get down to their target of 2 to 3%, and that you'd rather put more bullets in the chamber than um, worry too, too much about where current housing prices are going. So... From that point of view, I mean, Canada is is holding up well, but it was starting to fall behind its its currency competitors. And when when you think about that, I'm talking the United States, and I think that they took a page or they looked at what was happening in Australia and the United Kingdom and in, in Europe more broadly, that inflation is still rampant there. Mm-hmm. And that while we have had it relatively under control, we still need to see continued downward pressure and um, we just do not have the, the, the market where we have as much control over the consumer as the United States possibly does. Mm-hmm. And um, while we do have a short-term worry in terms of our, our debt-to-household income and just how much of that is mortgage-based and the variable mortgage rate problem, mm-hmm. it is still on a short-term three to nine months basis a likely the right move. Um, because they are able to cut the next month or whenever they so please once they see the data that that backs up their decision making here and um i have a lot of twitter threads that i think are very good for people to reference uh in my newsletter this week uh just to to kind of go through and they're from bob elliott who i i adore he's one of the best hedge fund managers that well he used to run he was the CIO at, at Bridgewater, Ray mm-hmm. Dalio's. And he's just he does such a terrific job on Twitter. And I, I recommend people check out his most recent one. But um, that is, from a Canadian perspective, important. It feels on the U.S. side and um, just more broadly that China is, is not as hot as perhaps we were expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite clear that that's going to have a uh, continued impact on commodity prices. And commodity prices are likely to struggle. Take a look at just how copper is performing. Um, this is by no means a prediction. It's just that is a Dr. Copper is the what you should be watching here. Um, oil, while the Saudi Arabia, Saudi or OPEC um, came out and said that they were going to cut another million barrels per day in terms of production, that while it rallied oil prices five percent, sold off into the end of the day and uh, and um, ended up negative. So. 
it's clear that the global economy is not as strong and demand for commodities isn't as strong as perhaps we had predicted at the beginning of the year. And that is going to have continued downward pressure on commodity prices moving forward. And that is something that oil investors, commodity investors need to take into consideration. Um, China is having a significant devaluing event at the moment. Um, I have a few additional links in my my newsletter that kind of goes through that more deeply. Please subscribe. If you're interested, please subscribe. (laughs) Uh, That, I mean... Without going into too much more detail, the U.S. seems to be holding on by a thread, and it's an AI thread, and <laughs> it's dominated by 10 companies. The rest of the market is struggling. Uh, you got an S&P 500. There's 504 names in it. 10 are holding the whole thing up, and the rest are kind of just middling. middling. Yeah. And um, that's not always great. It's called a thin, um, a lacking of breadth market. While the trend is still up, uh, the S&P 500 is, is up 21 22% since its most recent low in last summer. Uh, the NASDAQ, I think, is up 31% from its most recent low. Mm-hmm. When you take a look at banks, when you take a look at industrials, when you take a look at REITs, at rails, that's not the case. But those were also doing particularly well, right? Look at the Dow versus the NASDAQ. Um, uh, according to DataTrek, this has been a two-standard deviation move. In, in terms of um, price outperformance from tech stocks. Wow. But there was also a three standard deviation move in terms of Dow outperformance last year over the NASDAQ. So fairly interesting um, market that we're in right now. It's challenging to put money to work. I mean, GICs and, and, and U.S. Treasuries are 5%. Mm-hmm. Very, chal- very difficult to not look at that and be like, eh, to hell with this, right? So. Yeah. Um, that's kind of my market update. Do you I feel like a lot. Add? I'll just say I feel like a, a lot of things that that I'm again as a from like a thousand foot view type perspective. Like feels like a lot of playing chicken with each other. Like a lot of things are there's just so much going on geopolitically, and then from the economic standpoint, interest rates, inflation, every major economic center that called you know the G whatever seven nine what, doesn't matter on the. <laughs> Depends on which which weekend they're they're doing their their um, Austrian getaway to talk about the global issues. Uh, how many countries are there? But the it feels like there's just a lot going on, and I feel like it's been kind of a holding pattern at the end of the day for the most part, and doesn't make things any easier to predict or to to look at from that perspective. But I think there's a lot of as you point out. I think the the conservative take on on interest rates and, and what to do from that perspective. I think everyone's waiting for more information to be gathered. Like we're still like, I mean, we're in this, in this age of obviously wanting decisions to be made and information to be instantaneous. And with these kind of macro factors um, and coming time. and coming off of a, a, you know, two years of just absolutely unprecedented change yeah. from you know from various pillars in our in our global economy and just our social lives um i think there's there's going to be this much longer play to get out of whatever tailspin or holding pattern or whatever it's going to be because there's all this kind of you know there's some uncertainty baked in for sure as to what's going to happen geopolitically but there's also this this uncertainty over you know how far how deep do we have to go from uh you know interest rate standpoint and or when are when is the the, the macro data going to kind of support that we've stabilized and it's everyone's you know <laughs> we've been talking about this for the better part of you know 12 months and all the experts in the field saying oh this could be the indication this could be an indi-, and it's almost like you almost like taking your tweet and repost like you could just retweet your three month ago tweet and change a couple words and it's more so saying, hey, we've got to wait for more. Or That's literally what the Bank of Canada job. and the Federal Reserve does. I think. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, they, they'd have a great Twitter account, wouldn't they? Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I, I tend to agree with that. And um, sadly, when it comes to putting money to work, last year you had a 5% opportunity to invest in GICs you're like, or in whatever. And then you look at the market and it's down 20 in some cases 30%. And you're like, you know what? I'm not going to do anything. And then it snaps back 30% and you miss a 25% rally mm-hmm. versus what you did choose. And then you're, you're, you're sitting there kind of 
thinking, wow, now what do I do? Do I put it to work now? Yeah. And that's where, I mean, it's just so hard to market time. It's such a challenging. <laughs> that old adage, right? You yeah. missed, what is it, five days of the year or 10 yeah. days of the year? You miss You miss 100% of the games. Yeah. But, so um, speaking of those uh, 10 big players, the other outside of the live PGA Tour news yesterday, I think the other big thing over the last couple of days has been the, the Apple announcement or the, is it conference? The Vision Pro release. Yeah. While there was announcement, all, right? They don't. It's not coming out until twenty twenty four. Is that that's correct? Correct. It yeah. sounds like Q one of twenty four is is the the slated mm-hmm. um, distribution. Uh, Thirty five hundred US dollars, which is obviously very reasonable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the average person, I think, pays that. Um, for six months of their 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 rent but nonetheless it is a very intriguing device i think this is probably the best name that apple has come up with in a very long time if ever and um without going too deep into what i my my view is on on um, vr ar i think it's important to just describe what that is virtual reality versus augmented reality augmented reality is like think about pokemon go remember how people were walking around parks with pokemon mm-hmm. with their their phones in front of them and they were throwing stuff at augmented images yeah what a time to be alive that wow was. that was incredible that is augmented reality and then you have vi- virtual reality which is where you're you're truly immersed immersed yeah. um it's an important distinction to make i think this is more of a vr device apple has identified one portion of the market and then it's being compared to the quest 3 or the quest 2 with facebook and a lot of people are kind of being or showing like there's this archaic meta product that facebook's put out and then you have this incredible vision product the vision product is without a doubt more beautiful it has better um the latency is better um it uses different technology with regards to how do you use it It doesn't really utilize um controllers it can but it doesn't Mm -hmm. it only lasts two hours and actually um connects to a wall so that you can continue to use it whereas the the meta product does not do that but what i want to make very clear is that these are two different strategies on purpose metas is more of a video gaming device whereas apple's vision product is almost certainly um a advancement or a iteration on their mac product Mm -hmm. i think that this they've chosen to go directly at their their macbook pro and that this will be the next level or stage of computing the only people willing to spend 3500 us or five basically 5000 canadian are going to be people that see product productivity benefits from a device like this and for those that have multiple screens at work for those that truly can sit without being without having to look around and, and utilize their their body for long <laughs> periods of time yeah. they're going to be the ones that can use this apple massive apple fanboys also but they're only predicting 800,000 to a million devices sold on this release. That's not a lot for Apple. They sell like 200 plus million iPhones a year, just mm-hmm. for context. Mm-hmm. And um, for those thinking about this, think um, in one year, we, we over-anticipate the things that we can, we can accomplish. And in 10, we, we under-appreciate. And I think for this, that's a good way to look at this. This is going to be... There's a really great quote that Ben Thompson actually released in his most recent letter where he um, um, shows uh, uh, Jobs, like Apple's Jobs, Steve Jobs, talk about the, the levels of computing where the iPhone is necessary or a need, whereas the, the Mac is for efficiency for work. And where does the iPad fit in in all of this? And this is when they were releasing the iPad. And it's, he felt that, that it was going to be a better platform for email for video for um listening to things and it turned out that it's a great video device and i think that for this um, vision at least the first few iterations it's going to be a great workspace Mm -hmm. for those that um want to optimize for efficiency and for new creativity and i think creators are going to love these things for those that are recording this podcast, I think that there's going to be a lot of applications there, things that they can do better and faster. So I'm, I'm very optimistic on that on that front. Yeah. And one statistic that I do want to mention before we kind of move on from this is it's that um, apparently, and this is from a Matthew Ball article, where he pointed out the R&D expenses at Facebook versus Apple. 
Facebook spent something like 57 or $59 billion over the last few years on their, um, on Metaverse and Oculus and, and, and whatnot. And people always just assume that Apple didn't spend anything. It <laughs> sounds like they spent between 40 and $50 billion. And for relative context, that's roughly the size of Suncor Energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of money. Like, that is a lot of money. People just cannot fathom the amount that these companies are spending on this and um, how important they do view owning the next platform to be. Um, where, where do we go after the iPhone? I don't know. I don't know what we do after the mobile device, but it seems as though this is important enough. Mm-hmm. Apple did just legitimize the thing that Apple or Facebook was getting made fun of for the last two years yep. with their device. Yep. Well, sure, you might think one's better than the other. One's $500, and the other one's seven times that price. Mm-hmm. They aren't going after the same market. Yep. So I don't know what you if you have a, a take, but that's all I got to say about it. Yeah, not, not really a take. Yeah, I think I'm still obviously learning about the application of it. I, I mean, a lot of the cool things, I mean, even from like a recreate, like if you could afford it, obviously, uh, from a recreational standpoint or just using it personal use, I think it looks pretty neat. I think some of the tech bloggers, obviously people who who have been able to, to try this out and kind of share some of their experience, I think um, it's interesting to see from that standpoint, like, you know, even just... <laughs> Uh, we keep talking about absorbing content. It's going to be another way of being able to do that too, right? So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this first iteration goes. And like you said, I think this is just a, you know, this is the first building block and the first first iteration of things to see, um, I guess, number one, how the market responds to it, but then eventually saying, okay, well, once we get feedback and once we can, like if we were to compare, have the the first iteration of the iPhone in front of us and now what it is today and how this is integrated with our life and what it's used for, then the same thing will be in, in this case, right? That's how, or that's at least how they're probably viewing it. And how can we improve on this wearable to make it not something that we are using in a sitting down function? How could it be a wearable that people can then walk around with and then uh, basically choose to turn on and off when they need it and you know the old chip in the brain type thing like we're talking about 50 years from now or whatever where exactly so i i think this is just you know one building block and i i think there's going to be a lot of a lot of hoopla around you know there's gonna be memes around people wearing them on their couch and there's going to be uh talk about how again from like a absorbing content standpoint how this how this works but I think, like you said, I think we we oversell a year and undersell ten years. So I'll be very interested to see what the you know the the Vision Pro two and Vision Pro fourteen uh, down the road looks like because I think this is just the start of many things to come. So least important news for us in in Alberta, we had an election. <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah we're we're obviously without recording last week. We're a little bit out, but it was definitely an interesting evening. I, I'm sure you stayed up as well to kind of verify or feel comfortable with the results before going to bed that night and i think obviously if you've been following along and listening to to news media you've probably got a a decent um understanding of of what's happened but i mean a few quick hitters we had 63 percent voter turnout which is a pretty good number especially when you compare that to to some past uh election turnouts there was 53 percent of the popular vote went to ucp um on the NDP side, they went plus 11 in Calgary, I believe. That might be, maybe it's one or two the other way. I know, I think that was taken from non-official results, but there was a lot of really close races, and like Calgary was kind of the battleground that the NDP needed to take over, and they didn't quite get enough to what they needed, but they made significant inroads, which could be, I mean, talking about kind of, you know, leadership transition on the NDP side, that that could be enough for, for, um, for them to not change things like for Rachel to stick around for another kind of shot at things. I think they've, they made a lot of inroads there. I think they obviously missed on the rural standpoint. They thought they had a couple of ridings in the bag from the sounds of it, from talking to or from listening to some experts and they ended up losing those ridings. But the kind of the, the biggest takeaway for me is the fact that or kind of two things. One, this kind of fracturing of urban versus rural, and essentially, so Edmonton completely orange. So there is zero representatives of UCP in any of the ridings from, from Edmonton in the legislature, which legislature. So that's kind of interesting. It's how that, how the UCP is going to, I mean, there's already been some backlash over, I think Danielle Smith said that she was going to make kind of a, uh, 
um, a party or a, a committee of some of the guys and girls that lost their ridings in Edmonton to be advising on what she should be doing from an Edmonton perspective. Doesn't exactly sound like the the right way of doing things, but also don't know what 100 what the right answer is. But this this kind of when we see fracture and we see this divisiveness um, at a macro and micro level across our political spectrum right now. Um, all across the world. And, you know, the, I think the number one job is going to be, you know, the UCP and I guess under Daniel Smith's leadership to kind of unify things and maybe um, take more of a centrist approach on certain things to garner some more support. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, they don't, the the margin of error on them being in power or not is has thinned. And, you know, there's, yes, the majority for sure. There's going to be hopefully some opportunity for them to push through some things that they want to push through. But in terms of garnering support in the long term, it's it's going to be, there's some work to do. They got to roll up their sleeves and there's going to be some, um, you know, fences to mend and, and bridges to build in certain cases. And I think, I hope anyway, sorry, that there can be a little bit less. I mean, this is a, this is probably a really stupid thing to think that might actually happen but a little bit less controversy around our political spectrum here in alberta i think we have this great opportunity as a province as we compare ourselves to to others in this country to um continue to diversify continue to increase investment to continue to promote business and the, the landscape here we have in alberta and when we're in fighting that doesn't help anybody so hopefully there can be some you know, again, some some fences mended and some olive branches extended, and from the UCP's perspective, like they, you know, got humbled a little bit with some of their major ministers, like Copping, Milliken, Nixon, Mandu, um, all losing their seats, and they were like, again, they were you know pr- prominent members of the UCP uh, cabinet uh, before. So there's some replacements to do. There's going to be some questions over leadership, I'm sure if things kind of don't, uh, stabilize quickly. So I think inter and sorry, when I said, le- I mean, leadership of the UCP. And so there's just been so much, um, instability in the political landscape in Alberta for the last 20 years in terms of turnover. And obviously the, the flip flop from UCP to NDP and back to UCP. And then just within the UCP itself, I think what we really need to strive towards is is some stability and and hopefully again capitalizing on what kind of has made the province such an attractive place to to live and work uh, historically. Yeah, I, I I tend to agree with a lot of what you just said, and I would the only things I'd like to add is just stop attacking our civil servants. Um, it does, it's not it's not good for any brand, and quite frankly, those people are are um, doing their very best and. Um, I think that it's just bad politics. And I'd like to get back to what, if you're traditional centrist, I'd like to get pe- both parties to move closer to the middle. I hate the fact that we're fighting on the edges. And yeah, I mean, the, the polarization of, of um, different ways of life, just the differences between our cities is, is shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that Calgary now is the, the marginal decision maker is bad for Edmonton. Um, yeah, it's they get they get the majority of investment. They're getting a lot of attention. It's just it's sad. Uh, the rest of the province is of of, of less value um, from a political perspective, and it's just not the way in which a well-run province is is um, created. So, um, I think that there was a message sent from the people that whether it be from the UCP's perspective where they clearly need to clean things up from the top down. Um, and even on the NDP side, they this couldn't have been an easier matchup for them, and mm-hmm. they lost. Agreed. Yeah. And um, there's there's something to be said about that. And if, you need, if you're wanting to win, um, maybe you need to speak to the rural people a little bit louder and maybe a little bit clearer. Um, I'm not... Maybe it isn't the... The, the talking points that they've they've mentioned, maybe those aren't the ones that hit home. Go do your market research. Figure out why you're losing by such wide margins mm-hmm. in those areas and figure it out. So um, I'm just hoping for a lot of the same things as you. So Yeah, it was again, it was... Uh, anyways, I, I hadn't tuned in to something like that on from like a TV perspective in, a, in quite a while for 
Alberta because I kind of figured I knew what the results were going to be beforehand. So mm-hmm. I think maybe they were a little bit less, like it was a little bit less nail biting than maybe it was. We had pumped it up to be. I think just generally speaking, the media had pumped it up to be some of the some of the polling returns before the election. I think we're showing it a little bit closer, but in, in general, there were. Um, yeah, some inroads made on both sides, but then some downfalls on both sides. At the end of the day, I think we are in agreement that there's some work to be done, and and hopefully this can be a kind of a four year period of stability and kind of moving forward rather than um, you know spinning around in circles. Yeah. So on our way out here, you got anything that you should be watching? Man, I've just I, I told you before we started recording, I just started rewatching Silicon Valley and. Um, so anyone who hasn't seen that, so that'll be on kind of Crave. It's, I was going to say HBO, but it's just called Max now, right? Max? Yeah. So Let's not get into that. I can't remember when the show stopped. I mean, probably before 2020 even. Um, but just such a great, I was telling Joel, I, I just said, this is, it, the, it highlighted everything wrong with an industry or just like in an industry that is bloated, <laughs> um, which I mean, most recently has been tech, but in in other cases as well i'm sure there's good examples but it's just it's very it's pretty vulgar show uh to to kind of preface it so if that's your kind of i know i like some of that humor so it was it's just such a good watch and it's that it's just funny to see that that the way they make fun of like watching the apple conference and and release and stuff like that and (laughs) just draw those comparisons you're like these this is probably exactly what these guys are like behind closed doors. It's just <laughs> yeah. such a perfect fit. But uh, the other thing, actually, from a TV perspective, uh, I haven't watched it yet, but it's on my watch list, and it's got a bunch of fanfare so far, is I think it's Idle on Max as well. Mm. So it's it's um, it's actually got... I started like, it. Yeah, we did. Did you like it? Because uh, it's got Abel. Like, it's got The weekend. He's the starring role. He's first time. I'm 25 time. minutes in. I fell asleep last night. Oh, no. Yeah. But sometimes shows are like that. It's like, not because it's not good. Okay. It's because... I took a melatonin and went to sleep. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, um, yeah, super interested to see where it goes from here. The first 25 minutes was intense. Okay. Um, uh, but, I mean, to add to my suggestions on the week, I, I think uh, – have, have the Stanley Cup final started yet? <laughs> Definitely check that out. I'm guessing they have. I don't know. I'm not paying attention because nobody is. But um, – yeah, I guess give that a look, give that some ratings, because I'm sure they're just on fire. We'll have to, I can't wait till, but both for that matter, we, we were pumping the pumping the tires of the NBA and NHL early returns on, on some of that stuff, and I, I'll be very, once the, this stuff gets released, once this is all done, I think the, the approach that both leagues took was not a great one. Uh, had a bunch of off time in between end of their kind of semifinals up to their finals. Yep. And that combined with non quote-unquote non-marquee teams non-marquee markets i think is going to be very interesting to see the returns on on both ends but bad for business bad for business yeah all right cam we are not missing next week we'll see you next wednesday buddy hump day take care